Heavenly Father, as we look at what your word says right there, I pray you'd help me to speak truthfully. I pray you'd help us to listen. And I pray that it would be you that speaks. Please change us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I don't know if it's okay to show a picture of your Bucks party at a youth group talk or even to talk about your Bucks party, but here's what happened. They made me run a gauntlet. Nine of my supposed friends stood with semi-automatic paintball guns across a field. Two lines on either side, way too close, and they just shot at me while I ran. I've never run so hard in my entire life. And I was just getting pumped with paintballs at close range. I had marks, bang, 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 as I'd run past someone. They were like smashing into my knuckles. My lungs were exploding from not enough oxygen. Everything was hurting. And I was just trying to get across that line. Jonah wouldn't let me show you the other side, but there's more marks on the other side. But finally, I got there, and it was finished. I'd done it. Later on, I counted 80 or 90 welts, and then I took off my undies. It was rough. (laughs) But it was finished. I had done it. Now, the words, it is finished, are really good words to hear. Your assignment, it's finished. Your shift at work, it's finished. A bad relationship, it's finished. The HSC, for some of you soon, will be able to say, it's finished. Tonight is all about the death of religion. Because when Jesus died and said on the cross, it is finished, religion died. I don't know if you saw it in the passage we just read. Keep those pieces of paper there with you and look for the number 30. Do you see what Jesus cried out from the cross? It is finished. That's my message tonight. Religion is dead because on the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished. You know, religion is spelt D-O. Not really, but it's spelt do because religion is all about what you do. Here's a list. Do these things. Don't do those things. And if you do well, you'll get to go to heaven, nirvana, whatever version of paradise. What you need to understand tonight is that that is not Jesus. Jesus came to put an end to that. Jesus is the exact opposite of that. Now, this might be news for you tonight, but did you notice any rules in the passage we just read? We just read the most important thing in Christianity, and it's not a list of things to do. It's Jesus hanging there on the cross saying, It's already been done, it is finished, and that's the death of religion. Now, if you want to call it a religion, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not into silly arguments. But you need to understand that it's the anti-religion religion. It's the opposite of religion. Because every other religion essentially says, do, do, do. Jesus alone says, it's already been done. It's finished. Now, I want to show you the moment that Jesus put an end to religion. Here it is. Now, this isn't an actual photo. But it was an actual event, as real as this moment right now. And I'll tell you how I know that. If you're the sort of person who feels like you need evidence to believe, that's good, because there's stacks of it. The evidence is one of the reasons I'm a Christian today. I'll show you something from ancient history. This is from a fellow named Tacitus. Okay, here it comes. 
There you go. Tacitus was an ancient historian. He lived in the same century that Jesus lived in. We get heaps of our history from Tacitus. If you're doing ancient history, you're learning about Roman emperors, chances are you're getting stuff from this guy. But Tacitus was not a Christian. In fact, he was anti-Christian. And yet, Tacitus wrote about Jesus and his death. Read it with me. Not out loud. Christians derived their name from a man called Christ who, during the reign of Emperor Tiberius, had been executed by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate. This is why no serious historian doubts that this happened. Even if you didn't have the Bible, you've got guys from the time telling us what happened. And it matches exactly what the Bible says. Now, there's more. I won't go into it, but you've got some of them on this slide here. Uh, if you want to know more, go to Jesus Uncut. But I'll tell you, we've got something better than that. What you're holding, if you've got that piece of paper, that was written by someone who was there on that day. So I'll tell you, this stuff is real. Now, what would you have seen if you were there on that day? We'll have a look at verse number one. Verse number one, Jesus literally becomes a whipping boy. Verse one, read it with me. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Now this flogging uh, would have been so bad, um, oftentimes people who are flogged would have died from it before they even got to the cross. Usually the person would have been stripped, sometimes naked, his hands tied above his head. They would have then made a, or taken a whip made out of leather straps. At the end of each strap would have been a, a little metal ball or a hook. And they would then whip the prisoner across the back. Chunks of metal would dig into the man's body and a tug could rip off chunks of flesh. Jesus would have been flogged repeatedly until his bones shook, his flesh was torn, possibly his body would have gone into shock, he would have been covered in blood, he would have been in agony. This would have been after a sleepless night. He's exhausted, he's been betrayed by a close friend. Most of his followers have abandoned him. What else would you have seen that night? We'll get next slide. Verse 2 and 3 tells us that he, would have, he, was, he was then laughed at. He was humiliated and mocked. Have a look at verses 2 and 3 with me. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, a mock crown, and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe like kings would have worn and went up to him again and again and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Like schoolyard bullies, soldiers gang up on Jesus and humiliate him, using a messed up king's costume to mock his claim to be a king. Ironically, this is actually the Son of God become a man, a guy who will go on to rise from the dead, sit on the throne next to his father and rule the universe. But right here, they make a game out of mocking him. Now verse 4, the judge named Pilate says he's an innocent man. Look at verse 4. Once more, this actually happens three times. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. This is the most perfect man who's ever lived. He's lived a life of total self-denial, unparalleled love without one mistake. And yet the crowds pressure Pilate to kill him. Have a look at verse 6. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Did you notice who was leading this chant? The religious guys, the chief priests. All his life, the religious guys were the ones who hated Jesus most. 
And did you notice in verse 7 to 9, he didn't defend himself. The Jewish leaders insisted, we've got a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside his palace and asked, where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate's asking the right question there, isn't he? Where are you from, Jesus? Because if he is who he says he is, then humanity is about to kill God. But Jesus had already done and said enough things to answer that question. Who else could have done and said the things that Jesus did and said? This man that they're mocking and whipping is the God who made the universe. So he could have defended himself, couldn't he? In another place, he, sort of, he, he said he could have called an army of angels to come and rescue him. But he does nothing. Why don't you defend yourself, Jesus? Because this is why he came. This moment right now that we're looking at, as shocking as it is, is the exact reason he came to earth. Earlier on, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own. He's come to lay down his life for you. You might have heard that before, but I just want you to think about it now, even picture it. He didn't have to go through this. He's amazing. Verse 17 and 18 tell us simply they murdered him. Have a look at verse 17 on the other side of his sheet. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. Nails would have been hammered in through his forearms. Feet nailed into the wood and then hung up to die. This was beside the highway into the city. So crowds and and passing travellers would have watched as he sweated and bled. Can you picture him hanging there? Because he did that for you. Sometimes I talk to youth group kids and teenagers and and they say, I don't know, how do you know God loves me? I don't feel like God loves me. I'll tell you how I know he loves you because of this. And I don't know how we can, you can, ignore a God who loves you this much. But just pause on that for a second, all right? I wonder how many people have said right before they died, it'll be fine, mum. I wonder how many people have said that uh, as their fa- you know, famous last words. Apparently, don't worry, it's not loaded, has happened as famous last words before. Um, Steve Jobs, CEO of Apple, um, you know, responsible for like the iPhone and stuff. Apparently he said, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow. Famous last words. Jesus' last words were, it is finished. And the reason tonight's all about those words is because he's saying something so huge there. What does he mean when he says, it is finished? We're going to dig into that because this is Christianity. He doesn't just mean that his suffering is over. It's not just that he's fulfilled ancient prophecies. Now, those things are true, but there's more. Here's what he means. He means that he has done 
everything it takes to forgive your sins, bring you back to God, and give you eternal life. The great problem between humanity and God has been dealt with. He's taken the sins of the world upon himself. He has paid the punishment. And he holds that out to us as a gift. He says, I've done everything that needed to be done. All you need to do is accept what I've done for you. If you want your sins to be forgiven, if you want a relationship with God, if you want to go to heaven, there is nothing you need to add. There is nothing that you need to bring. It is finished. All that remains is for you to accept it. But I want to make this clear. It's not automatic. You have to decide. And there are people in this room who haven't received it. Some of them have been calling themselves Christians for years, like Guy we heard before. And you don't receive this by believing in God. Even Satan believes in God. You don't receive this by calling yourself a Christian or by going to church. And you don't receive it by trying to be a good person. That is religion. There must be a point Sometime, somewhere where you have received Jesus and what he's done for you. And so the question is, how? How do you receive it? Two things. Number one, you trust Jesus. Number two, you repent. Number one, you trust Jesus. See, I'm standing on this stage right now. And I'm trusting it for my physical safety. You need to trust Jesus with your spiritual safety. You say, I know that you've done everything it takes. I want your death to take away my sins. I want your death to pay my punishment. I put my trust in you. And then Jesus becomes the one that you rely on to deal with your sins. And Jesus becomes the one that you rely on to get you to heaven. And you base your relationship with God not on what you've done, good or bad, but based on what God, Jesus, has already done on the cross. That's number one, you trust Jesus. Number two, you repent. Repent means change. It means that you change your mind about Jesus and you change your mind about sin. You say to God, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you. As part of my new relationship with you, I'm turning my back on sin and I'll listen to you from now on. Please help me do that. Now I want to be clear, you can't have Jesus as your saviour but reject him as your king. See, I'm not telling you tonight about some get out of hell free card that you put in your back pocket and then forget all about God. I'm telling you about something better. I'm telling you how to begin a relationship with God. And I want to tell you how it's different to religion. See, with my wife Monique, all right, if she said to me, here are the rules. If you do these things, I will love you. If my wife said that to me, that's a bad marriage. That's religion, right? Here are the rules. If you do them, God will accept you. But my marriage doesn't have rules. Because I know that Monique already loves me and I love her, I just want to do what makes her happy. And I want to avoid what won't. That's what knowing Jesus is like. There's not rules. It's finished. But because he loves you and accepts you, because he already accepts you, you want to do what makes him happy. Do you get the difference? 
between rules and relationship, between religion and Jesus. All right, here are Buddha's last words, as far as I can tell from my research. If, here's what he said, work hard to gain your own salvation. Now, I don't want to misrepresent Buddhism, so if I'm getting this wrong, come and tell me, but it seems like he's saying, work hard. It's about what you do. But it's not just Buddhism. Islam has the five pillars. Hinduism is about how to free yourself from the birth-rebirth cycle. Even many Catholics are taught that if you want to go to heaven, do these things, don't do these things. And then, of course, there's the great Australian religion. I call it good blokeism. Here's what it says. God's a good bloke. I've been a good bloke. Should all be okay. She'll be right. But that's the same thing as well, do you see? And a lot of people in this room probably feel this way. But it's all about what you do. Now, if you're going to base it on what you do, you better be sure that you've done enough. And it always raises that question, how good is good enough? And you know what? Everyone draws the line just a little bit worse than them. I'm good enough, but not that guy. You know, there are people in prison who think they're good blokes. Murderers in prison who think they're good blokes because everyone thinks I'm a good bloke because I'm not as bad as that guy. Now, you might be better than that guy, but when you compare yourself to God's law, we all fall short. There's a problem between you and God, and that problem is sin. The Bible says we're all sinners. Now, I don't need to prove that to you. We all know it deep down. I'll show you. Imagine that there was a video of your life, of everything that you'd said, everything you'd done, even in secret. Your thoughts are the voiceover. Would you let me upload that to YouTube? Would you let me show it here? Get a long video. But see, the thing is, you wouldn't want us to see that, let alone God. You know deep down you've broken his laws. You know you've broken them with your actions. Even your thoughts have been against God. And you might be a good person by Aussie standards, but you've broken God's laws. And here's the problem with religion. Religion can't fix that. See, even if you could be 100% good for the rest of your life, you can't undo what's already been done. It's like if you spilt paint on some brand new white Converse shoes, all right? And here's your strategy. You go, sweet, I'll fix it like this. I just won't do it again. That doesn't take away the problem. You've broken God's laws, and the Bible says there's a punishment. And that's even if you could be 100% good for the rest of your life. The thing is, we can't. I don't know if you've ever tried to be perfectly good for just one day. Impossible. I can't go, and I assume the same is true for you, a single day without doing, saying, or thinking something selfish. I'm the first to admit that. If I can't go one day without breaking God's laws, what hope do I have of living up to his standards? And that's why religion doesn't work. If you make it about what you do, you cannot do it. You'll never be good enough. It's like trying to swim to New Zealand. You might get further than me. Some people are better blokes than others. None of us get there. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why Jesus' last words were so different to Buddha's. 
Buddha says, work hard to gain your own salvation. Jesus says, it's finished. I've won your salvation for you. Guys, this is why I love Jesus so much. Let me tell you a bit of my story. For most of my high school, I was living a double life. I was addicted to pornography. Like Guy, I regularly stole. I stole money out of my parents' wallets every week. I stole from shops. Almost everything that I said would have been a lie. The worst thing of all, I was just completely ignoring God, which I've now realized was a way bigger thing than I thought at the time. Now, I grew up in church. I was baptized. I even called myself a Christian. I went to youth. I believed it was true. But I didn't really know Jesus. I know there are people here tonight who call themselves Christian but don't really know Jesus. It's okay to admit that. I felt guilty. I felt distant from God. I was afraid to pray to him. And then I put my trust in Jesus. And Jesus said, it's finished. All of that is paid for. All of that is forgiven. All of that is taken away. You're clean. That's what he said in his word, the Bible, to me. And I'll tell you, day after day, I fail him. If it was about religion, I would have no hope. I'm such a sinner. But he says, it's finished. It's forgiven. I've done it all. And so I don't ride a roller coaster in my life thinking God's close to me when I obey him and far from me when I sin against him. Even in the act of sinning, I'm already forgiven. And even in the act of sinning, I'm accepted by him. There is nothing I can do to make God love me more, nothing I can do to make God love me less because it doesn't depend one bit on what I do. And because it doesn't depend on what I do, I actually want to please him. Because he's loved me so much, because he's accepted me, I repent, I want him to tell me what to do because he already loves me. I'm going to wrap up. I know some of you guys think there's nothing after death. Why would Jesus have gone through all of that if there was nothing after death? What would he have been trying to achieve? No, Jesus went through this because he knew that hell is real, sin is serious, forever is a long time. And he knew that this was the only way to solve it. We all get told that you know, all religions are a path to God. Why would Jesus have gone through this if there was another way? If religion worked, if you could save yourself, why would Jesus have bothered to go to the cross? But religion doesn't work and there's only one way, it's through the cross. Some of you tonight are caught in the trap of religion. Maybe without even realizing it. I'll tell you how you can tell. Imagine you die tonight and you stand in front of God at the gates of heaven. And imagine God says to you, why should I let you in here? What would you say? Why should I let you in here, says God? What would you say? If your answer is along these lines, because I... Because I did good, because I went to church, because I prayed, because I didn't do anything too bad, I was a good person. If your answer is about anything that you have or have not done, it shows you think it's about what you do. And tonight, Jesus is calling you to leave that behind and put your trust in him who did it for you. I want you to look at Jesus' cross tonight where he said, it's finished. 
And you know, the cross means come. Jesus from the cross is saying, come to my cross. Come to the cross and find forgiveness. Come to the cross and find the end of religion. Come to the cross is the message of the whole Bible. And I'm asking you tonight to come to the cross. Because Jesus has paid the price. He's been raised from the dead. That's the heart of the Christian message. It is finished. And I hope you can see why we wanted to tell you about it. But he will give you tonight. You don't have to wait till tomorrow. Tonight, he will forgive all your sins and give you eternal life. I've talked to people who say, I can't be forgiven. I've done. No matter what it is, it can be forgiven. Jesus' death is big enough. He's done it. If you're a Christian, it already is forgiven. And if you become a Christian tonight, it will be forgiven tonight. But you need to accept it. Now, we've already talked about how you trust in Jesus and you repent. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray. And I'm actually going to ask you to stand up if you want to accept Jesus as your saviour. Not because standing up saves you. It doesn't. But it is a symbol of a decision you're making in your heart to trust in Jesus and to repent. Now, if you've got a doubt in your mind, you don't, I'm not forcing you. I, don't, I think it's better that you work it out than that you stand up when you're not sure. But don't leave this building until you work that out. Because you might not have another time when you're this close. You're not here by accident tonight. I think God has brought every one of us here. My great plan when I was in youth group was to wait till I was old. But I can tell you stories of teenagers who died. They didn't see it coming. You know, the Bible, nowhere does it promise you tomorrow. It says today is the day of salvation. And you could go home tonight knowing that you are forgiven. That you have a relationship with God. And that you have eternal life. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus tonight. All right, we're going to pray. I want everyone to close your eyes. Don't look around at what everyone else is doing. This is between you and God. Leaders, you don't need to look around either. If you want to turn to Jesus tonight and trust in what he's done for you, I want you to stand up. And I'll pray for you. So you stand up if that's something you want. No need to look around. This is between you and God. Do you want to turn back to God tonight? Trust in what Jesus has done for you. I'm going to pray. Amazing Father God, we thank you that you are not like a harsh God who says, here are the rules, if you keep them, I'll love you, but you loved us before we were even born. And I thank you that tonight there are people who are saying, forgive me God, accept me because of what Jesus did on the cross. Together with them, I say, and we all say, we're sorry for our sins, I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for Jesus' death on the cross for me that takes the punishment for them, that takes them away, that buys me forgiveness and eternal life. Thank you. I put my trust in Jesus. I want his death to be my death. And from this moment on, God, I want to live for you. I repent of my sins. Thank you that it doesn't depend on how well I do at that, but please help me to do that well by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can sit down.